Hi, and welcome to another episode of Unordained, the Skeptics Podcast that's hosted by a whole bunch of ex-ministers and ex-pastors who are now atheists, skeptics, free thinkers, um, and pretty much all around truth seekers. And we're really excited to have you here today. Um, we like to talk about the topics surrounding um, deconversion and deconstruction from religious or faith-based beliefs and um, the harms of religion and that kind of thing. And so my guest tonight is, I'm very excited to have them on here. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and jump right into introducing Mike. Mike is a queer, non-binary, LGBTQ plus advocate and they're a fellow Canadian to boot. They hold a BA in sociology and anthropology and a certificate in human resources management. Mike is no dummy. They currently work as an HIV prevention project coordinator and they have their own developing, or sorry, their own consulting business offering organizational development, community engagement and LGBTQ plus education and services. I cannot wait to hear more about that. The work they do now, though, is a long way from the work that Mark, Mike used to do. Mike was an ordained minister and former missionary who holds a diploma of religion from the LDS Seminary. And so tonight, we're going to have a very interesting discussion with Mike about how a Mormon missionary becomes a queer, non-binary, LGBTQ plus advocate. Please welcome with me, Mike Smith. Hi, there you are. Hi, Mike. Hello again. <laughs> it's great to see you. How's your day going? The day's going so far. Wonderful. Um, Wonderful. Working my day job a bit, so just taking a break from that for, oh, okay, <laughs> for an yeah. hour or so. You have a fascinating day job. I do. I yeah. Really do. I, I don't uh, even know. I don't even know where to start because I'm so excited about you, Mike. Um, you do work that's important and uh, you know, life changing, isn't it? I, you, you've come like a long way. You've come. <laughs> <a long. laughs> so, how about if we start with? your background. So I, I know that you are a Mormon. Let's talk a little bit about that. Were you born into it? I was. Um, I come from a family uh, who immigrated to Canada from Utah. So my, my roots in the Mormon church go very deep um, and all the way back from when they traveled across uh, the plains in the United States and settled in Salt Lake City um, and then uh, even tracing back right back to Joseph Smith. And so uh, my family has been very involved with the Mormon church and continues to be so today. Oh, do they do? Okay. Interesting. That's, that's going to bring some up some questions later about how they feel about your work right now. So, but, <laughs> but let's, um, let's, let's talk about what your religion or your faith was like growing up where was it uh, was it easy peasy for you um did you have any troubles what what was it like was it real for you sure so growing up in a more in the mormon family 
um, the Mormon doctrine was my worldview. And I say that very intentionally. Um, everything that I understood and kind of saw the world was through the lens of the Mormon church. And so that's, um, you know, even science and life after death, of course, um, to understanding how people move in the world, understanding how I move through the world. It's all through the lens of, of how Mormons understand Christianity and understand life itself. So yes, very, very involved, very entrenched. Um, yeah. Was that difficult for me as a child? Um, I wouldn't say as a child because it was all I knew. Uh, but once I became a teenager, that's when things started getting interesting as you know, puberty started happening and sexuality and gender became more of an issue. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I would imagine it was a very confusing time. Mm -hmm. Confusing is a good word, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And did you, um, did you share with anybody what you were going through and how was that received? Um, it was a great deal of shame for me. And even as like, mm -hmm. even 11, 12, 13 years old, I knew that this was a bad thing. And so like, like anyone else in, the, in, in this experience or, or potentially any experience like this, um, I tried to hide it and conceal it and, and think that it would just go away. As like I progressed through puberty more and more, um, hopefully I would just like be, become more interested in women. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I didn't start talking about it until I was 16, 17. Uh, and then I came out to my first church leader when I was 18. Okay. And um, so I know someone personally, when, when they were um, younger, they would pray every night that God would make them straight. Um, and he told me that he'd wake up in the morning, he'd go to school, and he was still thought his his class, his male classmates were cute. So, um, but you know, I, I kind of, I, I laugh about it now, but it, it's so heartbreaking that a little child can be, you know, asking to be changed like that. And then, you know, you wake up and, and you're not, I mean, it's got to be such a struggle internally. Absolutely. And I remember, you know, as an older teenager going home, like especially going to university and coming back home and just like looking through my things after not being not living there for a while. Right. Um, I would find old journals and diaries of, of my 12 year old self just begging, begging oh. it to change. Um, oh. And it was like, I remember that and just thinking like this, this I remember feeling that the, the weight of it every time. I would yeah. come across something like that. And I, I journaled a lot as a young kid. And so yeah. there was just lots of accounts of like hating myself. And like, yeah. that's how heavy it was. Just like yeah. the constant thinking about it, the constant weighing of like, what's going to happen if I can't marry a woman? And that was yeah. very heavy on me, even from 11 years old. Yeah. I, I would venture to say that that is pretty much a universal feeling for uh, most queer kids growing up that uh, that that shame is inevitable is it is it not that shame is very very intense and definitely something that lasts even in communities where there, it's not religion that's driving this shame yeah uh, but the shame is just so entrenched in our society um, yeah. and magnified in religious settings so yeah definitely uh, we spoke last week to um, somebody who went through conversion therapy um, 
did you um, did you participate in any of that kind of stuff other than you yourself praying and asking God to make you make you straight? Um, first of all, I like acknowledging that that self act of conversion therapy because I don't think that's talked about enough. Just like that yeah. hope and faith that God would change, and so like yeah. that is that in itself is the my first yeah. um, act of conversion therapy, the one I participated in. Um, yeah. But I also participated in more organized efforts. Um, and about four years and four different programs of intervention, I guess oh, you could say. Wow. So I, I have those experiences. I have that trauma still working through it today. Yeah. So I imagine you've seen the movie Pray Away as well. I have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I cried like a baby. I, I'm not going to lie. I cried like a baby when I watched it because I was on the wrong side for so long. Um there was one scene where they were all gathered in a room, all of the Christians, and they were laying hands on each other and praying in tongues and prophesying and declaring things and stomping their feet. And I remember thinking that was, that was me. That's what I, that's exactly what I was like. And uh, so that the impact of it, I guess, really struck me when I watched it. I can't imagine what it was like for you. Um. At this point in my journey, it's, it's becoming a little bit numb, um, listening to different accounts, just because mm. all of it is so intense for me. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I can't always have an emotional reaction to these things just yeah. because it is so real and so intense. Right. Um, and my body just kind of goes numb. And yeah. that's my experience watching that film. It was just yeah. like, oh, yeah. 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 And like reflecting on that experience in itself was just like, wow, yeah. how, how did I get here? Yeah. But I know how I got there, like all of, all of these years of, of being involved in it. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So let's talk about that. So when you first came out to your, the first uh, minister that you did, how did it go over? It was very. That's when you started conversion therapy, when they put you in conversion therapy. Soon probably. after, yeah. It was very like, oh, okay, we have a solution for this. Not to worry. Um, oh, wow. And uh, at the time, I think, no, nope, not anymore. But at the time, excuse me, the solution was to go to a place called LDS Family Services, which is located just in Toronto, um, where a psychologist would start the conversion therapy process with you. For free. Like an actual psychologist, like a trained psychologist person? Actually trained psychologist person who's still wow. in practice to this day. Wow. Mm. Now I'm, I'm very surprised because I thought that conversion therapy was just happening in, you know, in church sanctuaries and, and halls and that kind of stuff. You're telling me that psychologists are, are practicing yes. it? So, and even a psychiatrist I worked with was involved in my conversion therapy experience. Oh my God, my. So these, And this is the interesting thing about conversion therapy is that it's hidden. And so yeah. it's not necessarily called conversion. It's not, or reparative. It's uh, helping people with whatever they're going through. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, and so it's kind case, of under the guise, under the guise of counseling, that kind of thing? Indeed. So wow. mental health counseling or life coaching, like those two things, like they uh -huh. hide under those labels, which is right. terrible um, because, mm -hmm. you know, something from my work, something that I do is I, I work against the stigma that these, that these services that do so much good for people um, have, mm -hmm. but like because of the stigma, people are scared of it. And 
So yeah, it's it's awful that they hide under those guises for sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like somebody's gonna life coach you out of your sexuality or your gender identification. Like it just absolutely. Uh, I wish I wish I had that sense going into it, but you're absolutely yeah, right. yeah. That's right. It, yeah, I, I I see it now, but there was a time I tell you. Um, and so I get at some point then. You, you came out first when you were 18, you said, mm. and at what point did you say, you know, fuck it, I'm just going to be me? Many years later. Um, so uh, it was 18. I went on my mission to be, it was ordained as an elder uh, in the Mormon church uh, and then started my mission in Alberta and British Columbia. Yeah. Did um, they ordain you after you said that you were, um, that you were? They did. Oh, they must have thought that conversion therapy was working or they thought it would something oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting because like one of the things that I, I was gonna I wanted to mention today is just yes. you know more than conversion therapy it's it was the church's entire approach to working working and supporting queer people queer and trans people in the church um, just the whole the whole process should be considered conversion therapy um even if it wasn't um any sort of program or intervention like the whole time the whole participation was conversion therapy yeah i i i can see i I can see that because it's it's built right into the uh to the doctrine right it's exactly to their theology yeah that's right and so i would imagine even if people have never even gone through any kind of formal um, you know, formal reparative therapy, then, you know, there's still, it's still ingrained. I know with the people that I know personally, it still becomes a part of, so they have that, that part that's queer and the part that's a Christian and that clashes, right? Yeah. And witnessing people trying to, to marry the two, um, Mm. I tried to do it and I, like I was part of like that group of people who were saying that you can uh, for a period of time. Like while I was on my mission, I came out to a very select few people on my mission just because I had to protect myself. Um, and then afterwards coming out and, and participating in these programs being like, yeah, they worked for me. Like I'm doing great. Meanwhile, I was sliding into a very dark depression. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, that's terrible. That's, yeah, that's, that's heartbreaking. And how long did that last? So um, after my mission, I probably participated for about two additional years. And then uh, at 22, 23, that's when I was like, F it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the support of my dear, dear friend who like was just had yeah. a very frank conversation with me. He's like, Mike, you're like, this is a life or death decision for you and I like it's not worth it like, it's yeah. better for you to stay alive and not be in the church than for you to try to be in the church and potentially hurt yourself so. yeah that is that is that everybody needs a friend like that Mike everybody everybody needs like, a friend what's his name what's what's their name <laughs> his name is Rob Falconer he's Rob? Like still Rob yep everybody so needs Rob. a friend like Rob <laughs> Still an active member of the church and just oh, one of like one okay. of my best friends ever. Uh, and lives in Calgary at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Um, okay. And so, 
your family, how do they, how do you get along with your family now? That was a, a journey and a half, let me I tell bet. you. <laughs> um, my parents have always, always just been doing their best. And I love that for them. Um, so we have a good relationship now. It wasn't good for a while. Right, right, um, right, right. And they're still members of the church. Um, and we've kind of negotiated how we're going to have a relationship together. Um, but for a while, it was very rocky. Um, yeah. Even participating in conversion therapy, because the, the program itself just blames the parents, which is wild. Yes, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I got I got blamed for having two queer kids. It definitely, um, one of my closest friends told me that I um, I babied my little boy too much. He was too much of a mommy's boy, so he that's how we turned out gay. So all my fault. <laughs> and as a, like, I'm I have, curious, as a parent, what does that feel like? Because that's not a question I could ask my parents. Because so how did it feel for you? <laughs> it was, uh, it was, oof, it was very disillusioning for one thing, because these were my closest friends. Um, I had another friend who, when I mentioned my daughter um, and her partner being married, they said, oh, I would never refer to that as a marriage. And, you know, it was like, it was like a rejection of me and my kids. And it was, it was a, a hard pill to swallow because I knew that I didn't, I, I didn't, I knew I didn't make my kids gay. I mean, that's, it was absurd at the time as well, you know? Um, but yeah, that was, for me, that was one of the um, topics that led me out of religion and theism altogether really is when I, um, is the treatment of, of gay people specifically. I, when I realized that I didn't have a problem with it and the God that I served did, that was like a, you know, one of us had to, one of us had to go. <laughs> I consider myself to be an atheist. Um, what about you? What about you, Mike? Where are you um, with the whole God thing? The whole God thing. You know, <laughs> I've had, I've had spiritual experiences in my life. Mm -hmm. um, undeniably, I feel. Um, you know, as a missionary, I, I feel that I had enough of these spiritual experiences to acknowledge that there's energy and power and guiding forces in the world. Is there a white male in heaven who I called God? I don't think so. <laughs> um, is, uh, especially is, not the god of the bible who is really concerned about things like foreskins and stuff and and polyester <laughs> apparently too polyester shellfish <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah all the important stuff but like i don't ever want to say that like i know more than the cosmos yeah and yeah. so i'm very okay being like yeah i'm okay with not knowing or yeah, not, not yeah. believing in anything specifically and right. just try to live the best life that I feel that I can yeah. um, and makes me happy and makes the other, the world around me like a better place. Yeah. Well, that's what matters, isn't it? I, I think so, at least. <laughs> and, and so now you're kind of a missionary of a different sort, Mike. 
I would never <laughs> use that term, but I guess so. <laughs> um, All right, I'll take it back. I'll take it back. <laughs> if someone sense. called me a pastor of a different kind now, I'd be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, in a sense that I, I promote, you know, self-love and yeah. I promote like taking care of yourself in a way that uh, is science-based. Yeah. Uh, I guess maybe, but yeah. um, just for the folks listening, um, I work for the AIDS Committee of Toronto and I do health promotion for um, cis and trans gay by queer guys in Toronto. Um, and I just talk about how to do sex and how to do drugs in a safe way for yourself. And it's, it's what I, I love it. I love it. So. Uh, that's a conversation that needs to be had. Absolutely. Those are conversations that need to be had. That is so exciting. Yes. And yeah. sex and drugs are going to happen. They're going to yeah. happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we should be talking about it in a loving and supportive way rather than right. in a fear-based um, yeah. judgmental way because that's not doing anything good for anyone. Yeah. Do you get an opportunity to... Um, speak to people like yourself who um, were kind of discriminated against from by their religion? You ever get a chance to talk to those kind of people? Um, it comes up a yeah. lot. Yeah. Um, I never get to do any specific work with that. Yeah. Um, but I have to say, like, the conversion therapy survivors in Ontario are starting to organize themselves. Oh. Um, I just joined uh, a group that's based out of Kingston. Excuse me. Um, this group is just a peer support group who want to connect with each other, share their stories, uh, help each other cope with what's going on. Um, and I was hesitant to participate because survivor groups um, have always been very triggering and traumatic for me. Just listening mm -hmm. to all of these stories, like I was kind of saying, beginning, just becoming very numb to them. Uh, but this group just has a different vibe to it. It's very, um, just very supportive and friendly and just light, lighter than the other groups that I've been able to participate in. So I'm excited for this one, for sure. It's run by um, Ben Rogers out of Kingston. That sounds, that sounds really interesting. And so is, is there a, a support and a community? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it's starting to happen, like I said, like starting to get organized. Um, I think even like some community organizations are starting to provide or look into these services, but nothing quite yet in Canada. Right, yeah. Yeah, because it's still um, like the conversion therapy is still legal in, is it, it's provincially um, mandated, is it not? Yeah, so let's dive into that a little bit. So it's, I would a, little love bit, to. it's a little bit interesting and intricate here. So um, in Ontario, uh, I think it was around 2014, 2015, when um, a law passed that says that conversion therapy is illegal to give to minors, uh. just minors, so people under the age of 19, I think. Um, and then I think other, other provinces have similar laws, uh, and some municipalities as well. Um, some of these municipalities, however, have completely criminalized um, or maybe criminalized is not the right word. I want to be very careful here. But um, banned, I'm going to say banned, um, the, the practice of conversion therapy in those cities. Um, and then the same, same thing at the federal level, we try to pass uh, a law to criminalize conversion therapy for all people. You're not allowed to, to do this to anyone uh, regardless of consent. 
uh, and that law did not pass in the Senate. And so uh, it's interesting, <laughs> why didn't it pass? What so happened, sad. liberals? Yeah. Um, and now they're, yeah. they're campaigning that they'll do it the next time that they're voted in? Like, okay, I don't buy yeah. it. But um, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. kind of like where, it, where the laws are standing with conversion therapy in Canada. Right. Yeah, it's it's too bad. And I mean, it's the churches are not the churches are hardly regulated now. I mean, so how are you going to stop? How, how's the government going to stop them from doing that? Exactly. Churches? It's going to be that's a, that's a whole other issue, isn't it? Well, these laws, these laws are helpful. And I think in a way that it sends a very clear message that like these are not programs that we are recommending that are right. safe to people mm -hmm. and we need to do something about them from a public health perspective. It's a public health threat. Um, yeah. But like these things happen underground. Yeah. And even like in the Preyway movie, it seemed like everything was so public, but that's not always the case. No. It's very hidden. It's not talked about. And yeah. like the programs that I was participating, that I participated in were largely in the States. Um, like I did like virtual satellite pr programs. I went to a camp like outside of Philadelphia. Um, so it's like from the Canadian perspective, it's, there's still a lot of work and a lot of awareness that needs to happen. And that's why I think these conversations are so important, especially, uh, if, if this reaches faith communities, like who knows, but even like outside of faith communities, uh, to acknowledge that like we need to take a very aggressive approach to stopping these practices. Yeah. I think the average person doesn't really, probably hasn't given it a lot of thought unless it's touched their lives personally, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. But these programs, the success rate is what? I don't have the numbers, but the success rate has oh. to be almost nothing. I mean, it, you know, it's, um, okay. so and the, one, a, and the, and the successes would be, the, would be not verifiable successes as well, so... That's the interesting thing. Like, there's so many interesting things like conversion therapy, but um, like how they measure success and like where these metrics come from and yeah. like, the science around what success means is all very suspicious. I mean, yeah. suspicious <laughs> intentionally yeah. because um, like, is there like the methods to collect that data, the data itself, like who are they interviewing? Who are they measuring this data from? It's right. unreliable, it's not valid. And yeah. so there are studies that say that conversion therapy is effective, but like, look at, you have to look at the data. You have to look at the science behind it and it, yeah. will, it will tell you, and all of these professional medical associations across North America and throughout the world will say that no, those, those studies are not credible. And so it's, it's just some of this fake news stuff that we have to get through in order to know the truth. Yeah. And, and like the best truth that we can rely on are um, um, like stories of survivors because you will hear the traumas that happen from this program um, yeah. that will kind of like debunk any of this false science, this pseudoscience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> tell me what your life is like now. Are you happy? You seem happy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I feel like I'm living my best life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to say that everything is like peachy and perfect because I still I'm working through like some of these horrors from yeah. not just conversion therapy, but leaving the church itself. Yeah. That process was hard. Um, very, very much difficult. so. I would imagine you. You did you lose your lose your um your social support group? Absolutely. 
Yeah. I was a big part of it. I had to leave friends behind. I, um, yeah. And when I came out and when I left, um, the support dropped. And, you know, years later, a lot of them came back and apologized. But mm. that initial year or two um, yeah. was very isolating, uh, even yeah. with my family. Um, just a very isolating experience that I grieve continually. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, yeah. And that's interesting because that's a, that's a word that comes up a lot from people who um, have left church or left their faith, whatever, and that is grieving. Um, I, I spoke a little while ago on a podcast and, and talked about that, you know, how you go through, I personally went through the same stages as I uh, would have if I had lost someone in my life when I lost Jesus. Um, so it, it does feel so much like a, like a grieving process. Yeah. Um, and the Mormon church, like it's, it's very much structured on doing things as a family. Oh yeah. And when I was no longer able to, or when I was no longer deemed as worthy, I was no yeah. longer able to participate in the same things that my family was. Um, even yeah. today, like it, it stings today. So knowing that my family goes together to the temple, for instance, yeah. uh, and temple worship together. Um, not that I want to be there because yeah. temple worship to me is, is very, uh, <laughs> um, if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that in another episode. But for today, um, what, I, what I miss from that is the opportunity to do things with my family in a very wholesome and supportive way. Yeah. And yes, I get to do that still with them, but I still feel left out. I still feel rejected. And yeah. I still like the feelings of, oh, I can still do this. Like, I just need to have faith. I need to pray. I need to fast. I need to read my scriptures. Like, all of that floods back every time I think about that or encounter yeah. like these like, rejection and exclusion things. Yeah. So it's, it's still hard. It's still yeah. part of my everyday life. And, and it is, it is a rejection. It's very much a rejection because. Um, personally, I'm of the opinion that religion divides people more than it does unites people. It, it causes a an us and them mentality. You know, you're saved or you're lost. You're a sinner or you're a saint. And uh, you know, um, and unfortunately, no there's not enough room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. There's no middle ground. Um, yep. And even being deemed as worthy or unworthy. I think it's just wow. It's what it's, a what a phrase to use, hey? What a phrase to say to another human being. Exactly. Wow. Um, it's I I saw a quote. I'm, I'm watching Pose again. You're familiar with the show Pose? No. Oh, the Pose is a um, Pose is about um, Black and Latinx communities in New York during the AIDS crisis. Oh, okay. Um, and it explores the ballroom scene. Um, anyway, it's great. You need to watch it. <laughs> um, I don't have cable. A, I don't have cable or anything, so that's oh, probably no. why I've okay. never heard so of listeners, it. Listeners, you need to watch it. Okay. <laughs> um, but there was a quote at one of the end of the movie, uh, at one of the episodes, that says, um, like something along the lines of, like it is a daily reminder for us that we need to do to remind ourselves that we are not an abomination. And like that hit a chord with me, absolutely, because it's such, it is maintenance to remind ourselves that we are worthy, that we are more than just being worthy and unworthy in an institution. Um, 
but we are human, we are unique, we have, we bring so much to the world, and if we don't know what that is, we have yet to discover that. Um, so it's, it's a daily uh, ritual that we all need to participate in, I feel. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, to remind ourselves that we're all worthy. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about your um, consulting business because that's, that's pretty exciting as well. It is. I, I, I really enjoy uh, participating in that. Um, so a couple of years ago, or I guess it was just last year, I'm sorry, um, I launched, uh, initially it was going to be an HR consulting uh, service, uh, but quickly transitioned into more of like an LGBTQ education uh, service where I get to work with different um, organizations and whether it's excuse me learning or um, diversity and inclusion work or um, working with the United Church of Canada for instance doing like youth uh, engagement work um, it's I just get to share my story uh, and work with folks and just help them learn to to be good humans and to be respectful humans <laughs> essentially My apologies for the dog barking in the background. My husband is supposed to be on dog duty, so I, <laughs> I don't know what's happening out there, but my apologies. I hope I can fix it up in the editing. So, but um, yeah, so, and what is your consulting company called? Uh, it's just Mike Smith Consults. Um, just <laughs> nice pretty simple. simple. Uh, still trying to find my brand and my identity. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure they will evolve and grow as, as I do. Um, there's definitely um, like future education and training for me. So I just intend to just incorporate it all together and just um, work to do a little side hustle here and there whenever I can. It must be very fulfilling for you. It is um, yeah. both like from like the community perspective to the intellectual perspective. Um, I feel like I found like a good way to balance all of those things uh, in a way that I feel like I'm contributing, but also just like making some money on the side because community work is not the most lucrative industry in the world. Um, so this, this enables me to do so in a way that I can uh, live a good life, I feel, yeah. and be comfortable. That's wonderful. Mike, I sure have enjoyed talking to you today. Let me let us know where um, our listeners can find you if they uh, want to contact you. Absolutely. So, best way to contact me would be through email. Uh, so it's pretty simple: mikesmithconsults at gmail.com. Um, my Instagram handle is mask underscore fem. So m a c or m a s c underscore f e m m e. Uh, and that's where you can find me on Instagram just to see a little bit more of my personal life if you want to do that. Uh, but definitely the email would be uh, the recommended contact. Wonderful. And we'll put those links um, in the description as well. So, thank well, thank you, Mike. I have really, uh, really enjoyed talking to you and uh, I, I've learned a lot from you tonight. Oh, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Wonderful. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Bye -bye.